Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Aries. For anyone who's looking to level up in work or wants to perhaps land a new job so you can put all the advice in this episode to good use for you, consider joining me at Bossed Up Bootcamp in Los Angeles this November 17 and 18. It's our final Bossed Up Bootcamp of the year and I cannot wait to make our California debut. You'll meet me and a whole bunch of other Bossed Up trainer team members tackling everything you need to live like a boss. We'll break down work, love, and wellness for women across different industries and across different age spectrums who want to level up in life and feel more in control of their career and the rest of our lives, quite frankly. We are filling up, so make sure to get your tickets ASAP. Bootcamp is being hosted by UCLA, thanks to the generous support of UCLA's AYS, American Women in Science and Engineering. So shout out to UCLA AYS, and I hope to see some of you there. Now, today's episode is really for women who are stepping into a big new role in their careers and want to make sure that they make a great impression along the way. So welcome to episode 62, all about making a bossed up first impression. Those first critical few days and months that you're on a new job are some of the most important opportunities you have to set your standards for how you will tolerate being treated, to figure out how to make the most impact that you possibly can in this new workplace, and to try to get a good lay of the land. But it can be something of a communications conundrum to figure out, okay, how do I take the lead and assert myself and show them what I got without coming in like a bull in a china shop. So today's episode is all about striking that balance and was inspired by this great career conundrum that came in from a caller named Amanda. Take a listen. Hi, Emily. This is Amanda from Illinois. I'm calling because I have a career conundrum. I am about ready to start a new job and was wondering if you had any tips or tricks for smoothly onboarding into a position where you have a little bit more responsibility than your previous position. So anything about leading a team in the most eloquent way or, you know, just starting on the right foot would be really appreciated. Amanda, congratulations on the new gig, first of all, especially because it sounds like this is a step up for you. I'm excited at the opportunity to brainstorm all the ways that you can kick off this new job on the right foot. And joining me today is Lee Carraher. She's the founder and CEO of Double Forte, a national PR and digital media agency in San Francisco. She's also written a few books about millennials in the workplace in particular. She's a total communications whiz, a speaker, an author who's written a few books on millennials in the workplace in particular, 
and she's helped companies communicate better and has brought her business building acumen and insights to lots of different organizations around the world on creating high-performing, positive, and intergenerational workplaces. And I have to give context to some of our listeners today. This is a reunion of sorts. Lee actually had me on her podcast back when I was just a wee startup entrepreneur who really didn't know what I was doing. And you interviewed me for Everything Speaks, your former podcast, which is now the podcast known as Millennial Minded. So it really feels like we're coming full circle to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being here. I am so pumped to be here. Thank you for having me. So what would you advise someone who is just starting in a big new fancy pants kind of role to think about as she heads into the office on her first day trying to crush it? So, I mean, it's so wide, right? And there's some steps you should definitely take so that you can, people are nervous, right? Your first job, you're nervous, you're excited. Like, where's the bathroom? (laughs) Who am I sitting next to? Who's my boss? All that kind of stuff. And you can take a lot of the nerves, anxiety away if you just get prepared in a couple of ways. So one, get that job description back out, get your offer letter back out, just have it all together, right? And just review it, review it, not on Sunday night, but like on Saturday morning, right? And let it sit in the back of your head. The second thing I would do is that weekend, I would go online and do some research, like what's happened with the company since you were there last? Like, did they make an announcement? Did they have a new product? Did someone get fired? Whatever. So go on Glassdoor. Glassdoor, I really, I mean, I like it for some reasons, but do not be discouraged by whatever you see on Glassdoor. You've made your decision, (laughs) but you just want to know, right? So what if something just happened? It's going to show up on Glassdoor somehow. Just know. So you're not walking in blind. And then check out what's going on. Like, is yeah. that go on their Facebook page, go on their Twitter. Are you following them? Go on their Insta, whatever that is. Just go in and just, just sort of soak it in for a couple of days. Just spend a couple hours on it. You will feel just already better about it, right? And then in terms of like, what are you going to wear that day? It's sort of like the first day of school, yeah. right? You know, maybe not need a new outfit, but you want to <laughs> show up as if you were going to a client, as if you were going for right. the job again. You know, this is not the time to wear your hoodie and no socks, right? This is a time or no shoes. This is a time, you know, go in. You've been there. Assumedly, you've been there. You've seen what the standard is. Do that standard plus one, right? Right. You're saying like, go in relatively conservative, maybe yeah. even taking it up a notch because you're better to be overdressed. Yeah. Right. Better to be overdressed because maybe you're going to meet the president. You don't know. Right. Or maybe you'll meet a client that day. You don't know. So better to bring like wear a jacket like that has a blazer that you can yeah. take off and then you can just put back on. And then I always like to bring the things I'm going to put on my desk, you know, mm. so what's going to be in my desk. And I always have the things that are, I'm going to feel better about my toothbrush, my dop kit, I think, you know, I always feel more comfortable when, okay, I know that I have a dop kit there. So if I get some of my tea, I can go to the bathroom and get <laughs> rid of that. it. You know, I always have deodorant and yeah. I always have li- something for my lips. So those three things will just make you feel like you can handle something, right? And then you don't know about the meal. You don't know what you're going to have. So, so have some cash and also get some energy bars and stick them in your purse or in your backpack or whatever it is so that in case your lunch just gets pushed to two, you're not like starving. And bring your water bottle. Oh, that's good. No no being hangry. No hangry. On day one. I love it. So all those things, you know, and get up a little earlier that day. Get yourself together so you're not rushing. That's the worst, right? And if particularly if you're a commuter, 
Ugh, you, you're so out of control on the commute. Better to be early and go hang out at Starbucks than right. to be rushing in at the last second. So there's yeah. just a lot of things you can do just to ease the anxiety. So you're up to speed on the company. Yeah. You're you're feeling confident about how you look. You have your safety and your toothbrush and your deodorant if you in case you forgot it. <laughs> and you've read. So you have some stuff. I love this. This is such a practical way of looking at the first day. It's a good primer for any new graduates out there or someone who's listening who knows a new graduate. Like send this interview to them (laughs) right now because I wish I'd heard that advice years ago. I also wonder what's your take on this? Because one of the things I see often is we get all amped up for the new Mm -hmm. job. We are guns blazing, ready to go, fired up. And then we get to work and the first day, maybe the first week, maybe even the first month, we're spinning our our feet a little bit, right? We're just waiting for the work to drop onto our desk sometimes. That's not everybody's experience. But how do you manage people's emotions? And do you recommend they be super assertive in their boss and be like, yo, I don't have anything to do or take a more nuanced approach to that? Because that it tends to be a sign of not perfect management, not perfect yeah. onboarding. So right. what does somebody do when that's their lack of an onboarding <laughs> that they run into? Yeah. So imagine that, right? You walk in, you're like, here I am. And they're like, they're like here's your chair, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> we'll get back to you kind of stuff. So I think mm-hmm. have a checklist of the things that you want to go through, right? So who's your boss? Who's your team? Who do I need to meet this week? Right. What are the projects? What are the alien? Am I a Slack, on a Slack channel? Which Slack channel should I look at? And then what is my schedule? I think you should ask, what's my onboarding schedule for the first month? Yeah. Not for the, you know, just say, what do I have to do? You know, who do I need to meet in HR? Who's going to take me on a tour? All that kind of stuff. Who's on my team? And then is there any reading I can do? Is there right. any reading on the project that I can see? Is there any, like if you go to a game company, is there a game I can play? If you go to a fashion company, where... Show me the, you know, where can I just go into the closet and play around? If you're at a beauty company, where are the products? I'll go look at them all, you know? Yeah. I think what you mentioned is so important. I want to underscore it, which is make a list of who you need to meet. And I almost try to take everybody I can on a lunch date or a coffee date, get them off site, get them talking, get the background story and try to figure out the real story behind who works there. Do you have any advice on how folks manage that? I do. I bet you do. You know, you think, oh, go and have coffee. And then I, we had an intern who did that. And then this woman come back and her eyes are so big. Her manager, i like, what happened? She goes, well, she told me about her weekend and uh, she shouldn't have. Right. Oh, no. So here's the deal. You're meeting people probably maybe for the first time. This is not the time to spill the beans on your rager weekend. Okay. Really. Right. It's not the time to tell people, you know, if you're in a really conservative place that you have 20 tattoos that you've covered up. Right, it's not right. the time to try a new hair color. It's just not, right? Not to talk about your sex ploits. It's just none of right. that, right? It's not a great time. <laughs> not a good time. So go in with some questions like how long have you been here? What's your favorite book? What are you watching right now? Do you follow a team? You know, these are good uh, talk starters. Right. So that the other person's not pulling stuff out of you, but you can have a good non-work, but, you know, collegial conversation. So you get to know other people. Like, what's it like here in the morning? Are people hanging out at night? You know, what's usually for lunch? Whatever it is. But this is not the time to say, oh, my God, I'm just so hungover. I can't believe. And basically 
some people don't know that, right? They think it's just like college. Oh, I can just tell everybody, everybody. No, you're in a work environment. And although it's collegial, we hope, and that it's, you know, people are coming together to work together. It's positive and it's productive. It's a work environment that is going to be formed. And if you show up and you start dumping your personal stuff on other people, we all have it. We've all done things that we shouldn't share. (laughs) Then you're going to be off on a bad start. And the bad start is um, I wouldn't give that to her. You know, if you have two. So imagine two people start the same day. Right. And one person spills their weekend and the other person doesn't to the same person. And the other person is actually giving out the work probably going to give the better work option to the one who didn't spill their weekend. And you know what I would add to that? I feel like you're absolutely right in that divulging too much information about your personal life. Just it's inappropriate and tacky and and not, not a good look, but one of the more innocuous or seemingly innocuous things I've seen a lot of women do is divulge their insecurities and say, oh my yes. gosh, I'm so excited about this role. It's a big step up for me. I don't even know how I got it. You know, and that there's this expression of insecurity that's been waiting to burst out of you all day. And mm-hmm. finally, you've got someone you're sharing a coffee with, you feel like you can be vulnerable with. And and that vulnerability, instead of being a bonding thing, like let's talk about why we all love the political cycle right now. Oh my <laughs> right? God. It's not like a, a bonding bemoaning moment. Right. It's a, this is a pure expulsion of my insecurity that I want to put onto you because I don't want to hold on to it myself. Right. And that really, if you don't voice your insecurities to your colleagues, they're not going to know it's there. Yeah. It's very undermining, right? It's sort of like saying, sorry to bother you, or exactly. this might be a stupid idea, but you know, we do these things and women do these things to ourselves more than men do for sure. I mean, yeah. that is just statistically proven. So, you know, that is not the time to say, I don't even know how I got this job. Exactly. Truly, men would never say that. Then we would go like, of course I got this job, dude, right. I'm overqualified, even if they're not right. And <laughs> we know there's that statistic, right? Women apply for jobs when they can feel they can tick off hundred percent of the qualifications. Men right. apply for jobs when they think then they've ticked off 60% of the qualifications. Right. By definition, we're taking ourselves out of contention. Right. So don't further undermine that. So yeah, you can feel all the doubt you want to feel. Mm-hmm. You talk about it before you get to work. You talk about it after you leave work and not it so anyone can hear you. Absolutely. I cannot stress that enough, especially <laughs> with our caller who admitted, you know, this is kind of a big step up for me. And this is a safe place on the podcast to say that. But don't say yeah. that when you get in the office. Like as far as I know. Right. If you feel that way. OK, so I'm feeling a little insecure. So what if someone says, what are you looking forward to in this job? Or why did you take this job? Or right. Gosh, it looks like a big, I mean, they look at your resume and go, wow, this is a big step up for you. Get, be ready with your answers. You know what? I, you know, I'm super excited to see this opportunity because I'm real. you know, this is what I was looking for. All the work I've done before now has led me to this position, which, you know, I'm just super qualified for. I'm really excited about being able to take my skills and apply it over here. You know, get ready for those answers. And that will help you stop your self-doubt talk, which goes through all our heads. Right. Yeah. And I also find it those conversations are a good opportunity to listen to other people's problems and say, yes, what's stressing you out at work? And, you know, while I have the bandwidth, not that you want to go in with that Girl Scout approach of I can be helpful to everybody, but Mm -hmm. no shade to the Girl Scouts. But, 
yeah. it's not the time <laughs> to be a Girl Scout in the office. Like, not that you're going in saying, how can I help you? How can I clean up after you? How can I right. be the support staff for everybody here? Unless that is your role. Mm-hmm. But just getting a good sense for the mood on the ground. Where are people stressed? What are people excited mm-hmm. about? And it's a good time not only to get the personal scoop, but to get the professional lay of Absolutely. the land. And I think the other, the reverse thing is true too, right? So you don't know who those people are. You don't know if they have their own issues. And sometimes people, other people will unintentionally use you as a place to dump on. Right. Don't take it on. Right. Don't, you know, oh, that woman. Oh my God. What do you do? Stay away from the second floor. You know? Yeah. Just because she's going to stay away from the second floor doesn't mean you're going to stay away from the second floor. And just because you had that woman you talked to, but didn't want to go to the second floor was first on your list to talk to. doesn't mean she's right. So doesn't mean she's wrong, but doesn't mean she's right. So just don't get invested (laughs) in everything they tell you Yeah. because everyone has a lens, right? And you don't know, you probably don't know who is higher on the totem pole or who might be on performance review. You don't know. That's so interesting. take the input and then just accept it and go, thanks so much for sharing that with me. Gosh, I'd love to get together with you in a month and talk about how it's going, you yeah. know, and <laughs> just like month. deflect it, <laughs> yes. deflect it back out. So they know that you're not going to be enrolled in whatever their drama is. Right. And it's not going to happen all the time. Right. But there's going to be that one person who tries to enroll you in their drama totally. and resist resist. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's almost a power of being an outsider for as long as that reputation lasts. Because when you're new, mm-hmm. you're joining an organization, you bring a valuable set of outside experiences that people who are mm-hmm. too close to the forest, right, can only see the trees, mm-hmm. might not be able to see the bigger picture. And, you know, one of the questions I often get from women is, if I have a dissenting opinion, if I have a disagreement, Mm -hmm. if I have an outsider's perspective, should I voice that in my first week here? And how do I do that eloquently and respectfully? And or should I just go along to get along for as long as I can? Because those initial few weeks are so, in some ways, conditioning for how Mm -hmm. you want other people in the office to see you. How do you make Mm -hmm. that assertive impression so that people know you're a leader with independent thought, but without having the sense of entitlement that it's your way or the highway. Right. So I think it's important to speak up, not to sit because, you know, you could be quiet for three months and all of a sudden you speak up and everyone's like, what happened? Who is she? Right. Yes. But to speak up and in a way that isn't derogatory, if you oppose the point of view that's being spoken, right, there's ways you can participate in a way that says, you know, in my experience, this is what's happened before. Yeah. Or based on the research I did, I see this. So I would love to see the data. And to understand how what I've read isn't true, right? Right. So that it's not about your worth. It's about um, what you've, what you experienced before, because obviously this will be a new one. It's also important not to give the impression that, oh, the last place I was was awesome and we did it this way, right? (laughs) But just to bring it forward, like if I disagree, like I think we should do red instead of blue. You know, in my experience, the red has worked much better because of RBG, you know, blah, blah, whatever it is. Right, 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 right. And competitively is this, is this. However, I'm really interested to hear why you think blue is better so I can understand how we're getting to this decision so I can get on board, right? So it says to the person... They have a different experience. It says they're going to talk. You're going to bring your point of view. You're going to bring your experience. And it says you're going to be respectful. Right. Right. And you're going to take the personal out of it and make it about 
the data or the process or the research. Yeah. So that it's not like, oh, you're so dumb. It sounds like what you're saying is that bringing in third party validators, whether it's in the form Mm -hmm. of a case study from prior experience or research or whatever it is, having that back you up can help make it less of a personal disagreement and more of a professional case. And then what I really love that you did in that red and blue example is you left the door open with an open-ended question saying, can you help me understand Mm -hmm. how you came to this conclusion? so I can get on board. You know, I want to understand where you're coming from. It it shows them that you're not just saying this is right and you're wrong, but you're also saying, can you help me understand the backstory here, which is a really great pro tip. (laughs) But I think that the context is super important, right? So my experience has been this, why are we doing that? Or gosh, I was led to believe this and now you're telling me that. So can you explain the gap to me? You know, something like that. And it's just take the emotion out of it, even if you're feeling like, oh, my God, this is the worst decision ever, right? Just take it out. (laughs) And this is a mistake, you know, that millennials get dinged on a lot, right? They get dinged on for, not ding-dong, but dinged (laughs) on. Got it. (laughs) You know, they come from, like, maybe they're uh, recent graduates, right? And they get out of college and they're way ahead on technology. They're going into a legacy organization that is way behind on technology, right? And so they come in and go, well, I'll just send you a Google link. And that organization does not use Google for whatever reason, right? Sure. And yeah, it's easier, and but it may not be okay, right? right? So don't assume, don't assume anything. So, oh, should I send that to you in a Google link? Should I send, how would you like me to send that is a better <laughs> question than saying, yeah. I'll just send it to you this way. Because you may be walking into, particularly with your older colleagues, some bias that you didn't have nothing to do with. Right, but, totally. But reflects back on you. So the more you can like that say, when am I meeting with the CEOs at lunchtime? And sort of wait for your turn, it's better. Yeah, I like that. It's an interesting tactfulness that is required that I am like a bull in a china shop most of the time. I wasn't graduated from college with those soft skills just yet. So the sooner we can... <laughs> We can match that energy and forthrightness, which I really encourage women to bring to the Mm -hmm. first day on the job with compassion and empathy and reading the room and waiting your turn if that's what it takes. I think that's the duality that that causes so many of us to feel a sense of stress. But But take your turn. Yeah, take take your turn. You might wait it, but take your turn. You know, I say I'm not done. Hello? You know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have something to add. I do love your Google link example, though, because it reminds me of the publisher that I'm working with right now, who some would call a legacy organization to publish my first book. And Mm -hmm. my editor just emailed me back saying, this is all great. We're good to go. A couple last things to edit here. But can you send it to me in Microsoft Word, not Google Docs? And I'm like, I don't have Microsoft Word. Why are you making me do this? You know, so in some ways, we're just speaking different languages, even though we're all on the same team. So it is about finding that communication. And particularly for those legacy organizations, the systems matter. Yeah. The systems matter. And if you have to convert it from one to the other, you know, it's a pain in the butt, but there are probably things that you don't even know what she has to do. She has to turn right. that actually into something else that doesn't convert from Google that then goes into another thing, you know, because I had the same issue when I wrote my book. It was like, oh, here's the thing. Oh, Lee, we need it in Word. And then you need to put in this publisher, um, this other software, right? And yeah. I was like, oh, can't you just take the Google link? No. 
You're the author. Make it happen. And then yeah. when I when I pulled since she pulled the curtain behind, I'm like, oh my gosh, there are like 19 steps that I had no idea happened, and it right. all is predicated on being in it's Word. It's funny. I mean, so it's know. great to be talking to someone who studied millennials in particular because mm-hmm. a respect and reverence for institutions is not my strong suit nor my generation's strong suit, <laughs> but it, it's real and it's a form of respect. So tell us a little bit about your mm-hmm. book, Millennials and Management. So Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making Work at Work, I wrote that a few years ago. Yeah. And it was built out of my experience of failing miserably with retaining millennials in my mm. business. When I started my business in 2002, I didn't hire any. I only hired people who had 10 years of experience. After 2009, I said, well, we probably should change that model and started hiring recent graduates. And I didn't think anything of it because I'd had lots and lots and lots of I mean, hundreds of recent graduates in my previous two jobs. And um, I found out that this group was very different. Mm. And I realized like we had hired six in within two months of each other and they were all gone in three months. And one of them, we walked and the other five walked themselves. And I'd never had a hundred percent failure in retention ever in my whole career. And I was like, that has to be us. I mean, we recruited really well, but we did not retain at all. So I started looking at it all and everything was so negative. I decided to ignore it Mm. and figure it out myself with my team. Obviously, I did all this reading and interviewed all these people not to write a book. I didn't think I was going to write a book. At the same time, my my clients, Double Forte is my company. We're a public relations and digital marketing firm, communication firm. My clients are having the same problem with their staff. Right. And so my work I was doing with my clients started turning into that. Interesting. like, Lee, you figured it out. Can you just write a book? I'm like, <laughs> oh, would people read it? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll write a book. And then, I mean, it's a long story, but that's how I came yeah. about it. It's very practical. It's written for teams. And this is the fight I had with my publisher. They're like, you can't write the book for two audiences. Uh, you either have to have an audience for millennials or an audience for the managers. I'm like, first of all, that says millennials can't be managers, which right. is ridiculous. And number two, that's the problem with business books. They are written for management who goes and reads the book and then goes to an offsite and then comes back with a whole other language. Yeah. And everybody else is going, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so I wrote the book for teams so that people would know and they can choose together how they're going to come to the middle. How does that relate to your more recent book, The Boomerang Principle, which is really seems very connected. It's about inspiring lifetime loyalty from mm-hmm. your employees. Yeah. So that second book came out of the first book. Mm. So I was doing all this keynoting around the country workshops. And in every meeting, someone would say, I don't, and by one of my points is you have to train, you have to offer training fast and often and early and leadership training is the new black. I mean, I really feel so strongly about that. And then someone would raise their hand and go, you know, Lee, these millennials, they're going to leave. Why am I going to spend any time training these people? Because they're just going to leave. And they're just dead to me. Oh, my God. They're, done, they're dead to me. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong answer. So <laughs> Boomerang is about, you know, this old. So basically, those people are talking from the old model. Right. The Actually, the really old model that says the American dream was you go to a company, you work your butt off for them, and they take care of you, which got broken right. in the late, uh, in the mid-80s. When publicly traded companies started started taking uh, shareholder value over employee and even profit, and then got really just destroyed in 2008 right. with the economic meltdown. So we have this group, millennials, and now Gen Z coming up, right. who know 
companies aren't going to take care of them, who know they're going to work for a long time, like longer than I have to work. Right. If you're born today, you probably live uh, until 105 and you'll have a 65 year career. Well, people were dying at 65. Right. We thought about 40 year careers, but 65 year career thats a whole different thing. Millennials and Gen Z also know they're going to have to reinvent themselves a few dozen times mm-hmm. in that 65 years because they've already had to reinvent themselves through college and school and everything. It's all changed. And they know that they don't want to do just one thing. So they're not anticipating staying at companies for a long time. Right. The way that my generation was. Right. Sure, so I'm the last sure. year boomer. So. Then if you pull it all together, what if someone leaves you, when you hire someone, you know they're going to leave you. It is not like a mystery (laughs) that that person's most likely not going to stay forever. Right. Not a mystery. You know they're going to leave you. So what if you didn't worry about it? What if you worried about keeping them attached to you for their whole lives, not just when you're paying them. Right. That's the false. The false thing is that I pay you and therefore you're loyal. No, I pay you. And that's a transaction. Right. You know, I pay you, you show up and actually showing up is not a skill. So <laughs> really what I want to do is have people be loyal to my company for their whole lives wow. so that when they leave, First of all, they stay longer because we are invested in their lives. We're invested in them having a productive, happy career and very high productivity. Yeah. If you can't cut it, you can't cut it. But the people who do cut it, they stay here for a long time. Right. And then we can't offer what they want because they want something totally new because that is normal. Right. Right. So we help them. We help them get that new job. We help them go become a nurse. We're not a nursing place. Right. And then those people are out there in the world and everyone who leaves you, can hurt you or help you. And why aren't you doing everything you can to help them help you? Right, 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 right. And so if they're out in the world doing something totally new, they don't have to do anything for you. But what if you call me and you go, hey, Lee, I just met George. You should meet George. Right, right. Oh my God, he'd be perfect for your New York office. You have to meet him. Well, of course I'm going to take that phone call, number one. Of course I'm going to interview George. And of course he's going to rise up higher because you said so right? That's a loyal act. Wow. You're not expecting anything from me. So how do you engender that? That makes me think so much about my team because I mm-hmm. plan for turnover and it, it's yeah. predictably part of Bossed Up. And then mm-hmm. the relationships we have afterwards are so different than what I would think they might be right. otherwise. And they'll like, come back to you. They're so powerful. Yeah. And they'll be more valuable. So if someone comes back to you to be employed again, they are more valuable when they come back to you than they were the last day they were with you the That's, first time. Yeah, right. That's so interesting. So what if we just think of it that way? Right. Ever increasing talent pool as opposed to a shrinking talent pool that because you just don't consider people who work for you. Mm. That is a disaster for sustainability. Well, it also makes me think about Amanda's question. Like when you are starting to build a new relationship with an employer, you hope mm-hmm. they have that perspective, but you've got to have that yeah, perspective. <laughs> right? They might you not yet, but they have to bring that book into the office with you, the boomerang yeah. principle. Yeah. But, you know, you're building a relationship that could last a lifetime, whether it's the brand mm-hmm. or the company, or I've also worked with a lot of the women people. who follow their managers from companies company to company mm-hmm. because they have such mm-hmm. faith in them. So the kind of loyalty you're talking about is so much more than retention. It's about that oh, yeah. humanistic age of work that I, I hope we're a part of. That's so fascinating. And I think that uh, it's not a choice, but to be human, you know, to bring the human to work, it's not a choice. And we're finally in a place in our history 
that the human is expected, right? right? And, you know, the, here's the deal about humans. We're messy. Yeah. We're really messy. HR, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, they like a lot of boxes. <laughs> check, 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 check. I don't mean to be uh, derisive about HR at all because they're becoming more and more important. Yeah. These people are actually rising up in importance in organizations around people and and culture, which is other work I do on. But we are messy people. You know, we're like, oh, I want to move to somewhere. Yeah. Oh, well, we don't have an office somewhere. Well, can I work from home? No, we can't. Well, all right, then I'll go find another job. Wait, wait, wait. You right, know? Right. So the more we can bring the human, and as long as we have standards for relationships. So here's what, if we work together, you do what you say you're going to do on time. And you do it at a really good level, mm. right? And if you're remote, you work harder. You're always on video so we can see you, right? As long as we have these standards of productivity and, and performance, there's a lot of flexibility in how it looks. Yeah. That is something that came late to me. Like, I was like, all right, I get it. I mean, I, I value being together. I absolutely value. And we know that being together can be more productive for many different things. Sure. We also know people need alone time, but you can build it into your business. So, you know, and the more you bend over backwards, and it is bending over backwards. It is a pain in the butt when someone moves. We had someone just move to Buffalo. I'm like, Buffalo? We have no one in Buffalo. <laughs> they moved back to where they grew up. You know, they've been here for 10 years, been in San Francisco for 10 years, moved back to Buffalo. How do we keep her? Right. What does she have to do to be as valuable there as she is here? Right. So she had to change some things, right? We had to change some things. But as long as she's performing it and as long as we're holding up our bargain, right. awesome. And it's almost like a constant negotiation and clarification mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. a lot of people get hired to do one job and then starting day one, they're expected to do that job and another or a totally different job. Mm -hmm. And that dissonance between expectations and reality is a harsh one for a lot of folks, but it takes an assertive communicator who's going to ask mm -hmm. for what are the standards? Like how, what are yeah. my, what am I being held to? How can I right. knock this out of the park in the first week, month, year I'm here? And, and mm -hmm. a good manager will be able to articulate, communicate and, you know, recalibrate when necessary on all of those yeah. fronts. I get that question a lot. Like this was my job, but I'm doing these things. And I always ask people to bring up the job description. And on every job description, I haven't seen a job description without this. The last bullet is, and all other work as assigned or something like that, yeah. right? <laughs> you are actually doing your job description. If you're doing things that are not listed, but it's in that, it's called the AOB, all other business line on, on agendas, you're doing, you're participating. Right. So if you're doing things you don't want to do, that's a different conversation. Right. So I thought I was going to be doing all these things. These are the things I'm doing. How can I get back over here? Because this is where I'd like to take my career. That's the conversation to have because you are obviously doing work that they value because they've assigned it to you. Interesting. But taking control of that is important. Mm. Right? Easier said than done. I think a lot Very of people much. I think a lot of people feel a lack of power to do that. And you yeah. know, from the employer perspective is a good one to keep in mind. They don't want to lose you. It's expensive. It's no, annoying. It's expensive. Nobody wants to be lost. So Know that right. you have some power. And especially when you are first starting a new job, you have power in those few critical first impressions that you're making. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. to establish your terms, to establish your norms, to establish clear communication practices so that you're not just there. It's kind of like being on a first date, right? You're not <laughs> just there to make the other person love you. You're also there mm-hmm. to be clear about what you expect in return. And I think a lot of us find dating hard because we go into it like it's a job interview and we're like, please like me, please like me. And then we end up with a relationship we don't particularly like because we were so busy trying to be liked that we didn't ask for what we need to like them back. Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I learned that. Well, late in my dating life, I learned. So when I turned 30, which is a while ago, I had that epiphany, what you just said. Yeah. And I like I went on this my first alone vacation ever because nice. I usually went home with my family and went to myself to a spa and I slept for the first four days. But anyway, I came out <laughs> of the 10 day experience with less one inch on each leg, which was awesome. Wow. But with this realization like, you know what? I get to say what I want in a relationship. I was 30 years old, right? And so when I did meet the man who became my husband a couple months later, I went in exactly like you, you know, I want to wait a sec. No one just gets to tell me what to do. And this guy is nowhere. I mean, I was like, I met him. I was like, well, we're not getting married. (laughs) This is going nowhere. This is going nowhere. And then when I had a different point of view about what I was there for, as opposed to just like me, man, I just want to date. Right. Uh, It was a totally different thing. So we totally went off topic there. I do this on every podcast. I'm I'm like, let's talk about love, actually. No, I love it. Love matters, man. It's a good metaphor. I think work and Mm -hmm. love are so related. So this. I think leadership is love. Oh. Leadership is love. It is a servant kind of love. But Mm. when you are leading well, your people know that you love them and that you will do things for them. That is so true. And it inspires loyalty and love in return, hopefully. It does. Yeah. That's a beautiful thought. But I think you can't you can't go into it going, well, if I love them, they'll love me. Right. Because it's not a quid pro no. Some people really have a hard time with that. Well, I love them so much. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. It's about them. Right. Oof. Leadership is not about us. It's about them. To learn more about Lee, check out the link to her website, leecarher.com, in the show notes below. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. It's Suzanne, and this is my boss that move of the month. So I've been going to interviews for jobs all over the country from Boston to San Francisco and Delaware. And after 12 preliminary interviews and four on-sites, and after a session of eight back-to-back one-on-one 45-minute interviews, I was finally offered a position with a unanimous yes, and I am so excited. Thank you so much for all of your help. Keep Boston. Oh, Suzanne, keep bossing to you and congratulations. It sounds like that very intense and long interview process was well worth it. And I'm so, so happy for you and for your new position. It sounds like anybody that takes hiring that seriously has to be a pretty outstanding place to work. So congratulations and kudos on your persistence and diligence. And thank you for calling in to celebrate. We love sharing some snaps. I'm snapping for you across the airwaves, across your earbuds. And you really never know who you're inspiring, who might be in the middle of a long ass interview process to keep going themselves. So thanks again for calling in. Now, if you've got a boss move of the week that you want to share, it doesn't have to be anything huge like landing a big new job, but any moment where you really felt, yes, I am the boss of my life and career this week, this month, this year, call it in right now, or you can call in with a career conundrum at 910-668-BOSS or 26 
And now it's time to share with you my favorite review of the week from Apple Podcasts. As a reminder, when you rate and review the show, you help other people discover it. And I personally read them all and absolutely cherish the feedback you give me there. So today's featured podcast review comes in from M. Winsler, who's titled her review, Get Ready to Boss Up. She says, Emily and her guests always give me something to think about and increase my professional knowledge every time I tune in. This podcast is for long-time professionals, managers, early career gals, and those still in school. It's never too early or too late to learn how to make the most of your career. Thank you so much for writing in. I feel the same way, and I hope that the topics we cover speak to professionals at every age. If they don't, call in. Let me know what we can tackle next, because this show is 100% steered by you, the listener. Every single week, Kirby and I review the voicemails we've got in the Bossed Up inbox and decide what we're going to produce, what we're going to create for you based on your requests. So thank you in advance for calling in and sharing your boss moves and sharing your career conundrums. I can't wait to tackle them. In fact, I can't wait to tackle them in person for all of you who are going to be joining me in D.C. Coming up next Monday night, I'll be hosting our next live D.C. podcast show all about women and wealth. And we're tackling the show in three acts, slaying your debt, stacking your paper, and making your money work for you. I'll be interviewing three incredible financial advisors and money mavens who want to help women build wealth in this country because that is not a dirty word, y'all. We women can change the world by earning more and by closing institutional wealth gaps that exist amongst men and women in this country especially. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, they're free and they are going fast, so make sure to register in the link below in today's show notes and share it with the DC boss babes in your world who you think should be there. We are filling up fast, so make sure to get on the list ASAP so you don't miss it. Until next time, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we will lift as we climb.
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 